0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Um, Journal-Gazette. We're going to have a guest, fell through, uh, you know, a little miscommunication, a little transaction, didn't go down right. Um, But speaking of transactions, it's August and there's been some, you know, there's been a lot of movement in the ECHL. In some places there has been, other places there hasn't. So we thought maybe we would discuss... Kind of the winners and losers of the offseason so far, right, Justin?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and the comets now are up to 20 signings, which that might be the most in the league, if if not at the top, certainly near the top. You're on August 16th. And, you know, it's it's really strange. You look around and there are a couple teams who have yet to announce any signings whatsoever. Uh, you've got others that are like Fort Wayne and Wheeling where they're kind of piecemealing signings out, you know, day by day, week by week. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of different reasons, I guess, why you wouldn't announce a signing. And we could get into some of those. But from a marketing standpoint, I do find it very interesting because if you're a fan in let's just say Newfoundland right now and it's mid-August, I mean, what do you have to look forward to? Because you don't know a single person who's on the roster. Mm. Uh, so it, from a from a marketing perspective, I think it certainly behooves teams to, you know, keep a steady stream of news going out, out throughout the offseason, even if you are a team that, you know, builds your team in a different way, uh, like Newfoundland, in, in terms of getting players from AHL, NHL teams. But uh, definitely a lot of different things going on right now.
0: So why is it that teams will delay the signing sometimes announcing it sorry
1: Well I mean I've certainly seen different strategies of public relations if you will and this is you know this is not you know just in hockey not just the ECHL you know I actually it's going to sound like a strange uh, analogy but I cover a lot of local golf tournaments a lot of charity golf tournaments things with celebrities and I've there's two different schools of thought one is if you're having celebrities you should announce those names day by day you know gradually so that you're keeping your your charity keeping your tournament in the news regularly uh, we used to have a, a tournament here it was called the Man Anthony's pro am it was a big deal not so big anymore but throughout the summer i mean we would have to in our newspaper basically print a notice it felt like every two days because they would send a new release every two days. We've just added Bob Knight, he's gonna be here. We've just added Isaiah Thomas, we've just added Gene Katie. And it was frustrating for me as a reporter because you're like, I wish they would just announce all these at one time and we could just make one big story out of it. But I understood why they did it and that was to keep their name in the news every day. You know, Every day they were getting the newspaper to write about. Every day they're getting the TV to talk about it. So from that perspective, I sort of got it. So to, to circle that back to the ECHL, I do feel like th- that very argument goes on. Is it better to just announce our roster in one or two batches and just get a big, huge splash or even do like a media day or something like that? Or should we piecemeal it out? I, I think tried and true, that's what you should be doing. Because yeah. let's remember, these are small smaller markets mm-hmm. trying to, to get a real imprint in the media depending on what that media is. So like in Fort Wayne, you know, the comments are going to get talked about regardless. But if you're in a city like let's say Cincinnati, not not small market, but you know, they need to do everything they can to generate news, and I would think doing more frequent signings would help that. But then you go to an even smaller market like Wheeling, you would think whatever they, you know, that they're getting talked about all the time, that that's not the case actually. You know, they actually have to go out sometimes and really um, pitch stories to get that coverage. And so for them, it certainly, and you can see it, it, it behooves them to gradually announce news. You know, they'll announce one player today, another player in a, two days, another in four days, because they want the newspaper to be engaged and to keep talking about them, seeing with the TV and whatnot. So I do think there's different schools of thought from a media relations, public relations perspective, if that answers your question.
0: Yeah, for sure. I also think that it has to do with at this point, too, you're announcing it when there's no news coming in from the NHL and and AHL. So, you know, if you're a hockey fan in one of those markets, right, you could get whether you're the biggest ECHL fan or not. If you're going on your news feed, you're probably going to be, you know, that news could be overridden by the other news of the day in the NHL and could be lost in the dust. So I can understand some of those things trickling out to August, too, from a media relations standpoint. Um but so far, I mean, it's just
1: it, it's just I mean, sorry to interrupt, but if you go around and you search different teams websites right now, I mean, I'm not making this all, this up. You can go to a couple and there's like almost nothing since right. last season, like nothing populated on their website since mm-hmm. May or since qualifying offers went out in, you know, first week of July. Now, to me, that's crazy because I just I can't think of a single team with the possible exception of Toledo, maybe Fort Wayne that can afford to do that, that can afford to not be engaging their own fan base, you know, forget about the media, but like your fans should be able to go to your website at any moment and see, okay, there's something new here. Like, Oh, I didn't know they signed that guy or this is going on, or at least you have some content, whether it's a podcast or a story on a guy in the off season. So it just, it boggles my mind as somebody that teaches relations for sports franchises that they're not doing that at this level uh so it, it's just wild to me
0: yeah um winners and losers of the offseason so let's go over the winners first the kalamazoo wings and they've got a new affiliation um with a familiar partner in the vancouver canucks
1: yeah so one thing we should mention because i didn't really say this you know not that's a backtrack for a second but there are reasons beyond public relations why you wouldn't announce signings. Okay. Maybe because I find it hard to believe that any team like Newfoundland, whoever, Twa-Rivere, that they haven't actually signed a player. Okay. Cause that really would be trouble. So um, but a lot of these teams, you know, they rely on their affiliates. Okay. So they may have a good idea of who their roster is, but They can't announce anything because maybe the AHL affiliate hasn't announced all their two ways or they want to see who is really going to be directed to them. So I'm just saying like. I feel like almost every team has to have at least a good sense of what their nucleus is going to be at this point, even if it's made up of AHL NHL players, but in some respects, they are constrained by what the NHL and the AHL affiliate will allow them to even announce. So I just feel like that should be mentioned as we get to Kalamazoo, because one of the things that definitely excites me about the wings this season is that they are back with the Vancouver Canucks. Now they have partnered with them several times through the years, but You know, what this says to me is Kalamazoo and Vancouver are comfortable with one another and to a point that they will reunite at this stage. Now, Kalamazoo, you might remember, had Joel Martin as their coach last year after many years with Nick Bootland as their coach. So they are gradually rebuilding there. And one of the things that happened with Kalamazoo, because they didn't have a particularly good season, was they dumped a ton of players at the trade deadline. And that is not something that you typically see at the ECHL level because it's just because you dump guys and get returns doesn't mean you can get those returns back for you the following season. Um, but I, I like a little bit what back Kalamazoo is doing because there's an opening right now in that division because Fort Wayne right now, rebuilding, very much a question mark. Toledo, very much a question mark. Like, it's anybody's game right now. And I identify Kalamazoo as one of the winners because I like some of these early signings. And remember, we're really early in the process. So just because somebody's a winner right now, in two weeks, they could be a loser. Just because somebody's a loser, they could be a winner when we start to get those signings. So we are still really early in the process. We're playing
0: armchair GM here. Teams.
1: Exactly. Armchair GM when you know maybe five signings with some of these teams. Hypo- so this we're is-
0: playing hypothetical armchair GM.
1: Right, just teams that kind of stood out like, hmm, I like that move. So uh, the big thing that stands out for me with the Kalamazoo Wings is Chaz Redikop. He is a defenseman. He was with the Savannah Ghost Pirates last year. He was in the Vegas um, Henderson Pipeline for uh, a couple years. Uh, he was in Fort Wayne before that. He brings a lot to the table. He'll be a physical player. He'll be responsible defensively. And he'll bring leadership. And that's all of these are things that Kalamazoo needs because they tend to sign a couple nice players, but nobody that's going to make you think, wow, they've really got it together. Or they're going to be overly physical or they're going to be impenetrable defensively. Chaz Redekop was a really good start as an anchor on the defense. Then they got goaltender Hunter Vorva, who's I know a name that you like. And uh, last season he looked really good. So I like that they started building from the defense out they've also got defenseman kirk gosselin he's a guy that we've seen with toledo he's going to do things at both ends of the rink and the other guy that i like is brad morrison now brad morrison was a legit nhl prospect at one point um he's got unbelievable offensive skills when he is invested in in you know just invested in playing and invested in taking care of himself when he is on he is really on and he can do some moves that very few players in the league like so that's a really nice start for Kalamazoo a team that has a fan base that I guarantee you is very antsy if there is one fan base that I receive emails from outside of Fort Wayne it is Kalamazoo and not a ton of fans there but they're passionate and they are getting frustrated at a lack of success over a long period of time
0: The Iowa Heartlanders, also a winner so far, and that stems from the ownership change.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Iowa, they're just going into their third season. Uh, They have done some nice things. They've had a couple coaches. There have been some things working against them. Uh, This is not a knock on the previous ownership group, which was Deacon Sports and Entertainment, which is headed by Dean McDonald. That is the group that owned – Newfoundland and Schwab Riviere and also Iowa until this summer. Um, you know, a lot of things affected the success of that triumvirate. One of them is the health of the owner. One of them is certainly the pandemic. Uh, there are certainly other factors going on. Schwab Riviere uh, has been competing with players with the LNAH. So a lot of things going on there. So I think the whole dynamic changed with owning three teams. So it does make sense to me that they wanted to sell at least one of those franchises that has now happened. Now, Iowa is now owned by a group that is led by Michael Devlin. Michael Devlin has several years of history working in sports in the Iowa area. He's the lead owner of the USHL's Des Moines Buccaneers. So you bring in an owner that understands hockey, that understands the market. And I think that bodes really well for a team that has really good people working in and around that organization. They do some really nice things. Uh, their radio TV broadcast, for instance, that's, you know, that's really good. They got David Fine on the mic. They've got Chris Peters as uh, a color commentator. They've had some nice players, uh, but they really need to start building an infrastructure to get the on ice product uh, to be, you know, less of a sporadic successful team and more of a, a player to get into the playoffs. And I think this is going to be a good start there. Uh, so I, I, I have them as a winner because I just really like what they did off the ice to sort of solidify things moving forward.
0: The Jacksonville Iceman's off is kind of a mix back of everything. Good signings and new affiliation, lots of new developments there recurring players coming back. Why do you like their off season so far?
1: Well, so Jacksonville is coming off a nice season. I would say they really jumped up a notch last year. So I wanted to see what they would do to continue that forward progress. The Buffalo Sabres, they've been with Cincinnati, it feels like forever. And one thing that you can say about that partnership was they sent some nice players there. I'm not going to say they always sent a ton of players, but you know the big one that always stands out for me was Michael Hauser. You always made sure that they were going to have A good goaltender at the ECHL level. Remember, Ukapeka Lukanen. He started in Cincinnati as well. So now that Buffalo is with Jacksonville, that leads me to believe hey, they're going to give them some tools to be successful here. They're going to at least have a handful of nice players. And so I think that bodes well for Jacksonville. They've already got a nice looking goaltender. That's Matt Vernon. Uh, You can see the Red Wing stuff here. So that is Mike Vernon's son. So got to believe he's good. Uh, He starred at Colorado College, obviously a good pipeline of professional players there. Uh, Some of the early signings they have, guys that I like, not just because they've got great names, but because they're great players. Easton Brodzinski, who was very high on our top names in the ECHL uh, podcast. He's back. Forward Derek Lodermeyer is back. Uh, Both very opportunistic offensive players there. And then uh, just last week, they signed what I think is a sneaky good signing, Garrett Van Wy. He was an AHL, ECHL player last year, uh, spent a lot of time in Fort Wayne. I really like his game. He's not going to do anything flashy, but he's going to bring the intangibles and he's going to bring some physicality. And if you're going to be successful down in the South Division, you have to have that physicality. And I don't just mean fighting, I mean hitting. And Van Wise, one of those types of guys that's going to do that.
0: Then the Allen Americans re signed two players, uh, three key players, sorry, from last season.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least three because they've kept going. But, you know, if you remember the Allen Americans last year, tons of great rookies very offensively charged. One of the big questions was, would they be able to hang on to these guys who were undoubtedly going to get huge contract offers uh, from Europe as well as AHL contract offers. Now we know they lost Hank Crone, who signed with the Chicago wolves, but they brought back Colton Hargrove. They brought back Liam Finley. Those were the two other significant offensive players. So to get two of those three guys back is huge. Now they've got Chad butcher back. So, I think they're really building on what they did last year with Chad Costello as a coach. uh, Again, kind of rebuilding themselves after years with Steve Martinson. And for them to get these guys to sign on for at least another go-round, I think, you know, signals that offense
0: and Allen's going to be really good again. Speaking of building momentum from last season, Norfolk Admirals, prime example of that.
1: Yeah, you know, Norfolk... They haven't had success in a while, uh, but I like the early start here because they were a much better team after the All-Star break than before the All-Star break, and they have identified guys. They clearly used the second half of last season to identify some guys for this season and then brought them back. Ryan Foss and Danny Caddick, those were their top two scores. They're back. Keaton Jamison is a signing I really like. If you watched that Utah... Um, Idaho series where Utah really had Idaho on the ropes by stealing the first couple of games. Keaton Jamison was really nice. He's going to win a lot of faceoffs. He's going to be defensively responsible. He's going to be sneaky good offensively. So I think that's a really nice signing. Uh, uh, for Norfolk there. And I like what they've done early with some young defensemen. Derek Louis-Jean, he's a player I'm a bit familiar with. He played his junior hockey in Fort Wayne. He was a QMJHL player as well. He'll bring some toughness. And DJ King, who's Derek King's son, he's still very young. He's got some AHL experience. He'll bring some nice offense. Uh, he's really worked on his defensive play too. So I like those early signings for Norfolk because they really finally got to get a uh, together and be successful on the ice
0: and then one more team the rapid city rush some re-signings there as well highlight the news
1: yeah i mean a rapid city again a team that's you know competing with the big guns like allen and like idaho so they went out and signed keanu yamamoto Alex Aliardi is back two years removed from helping Florida to a championship. He brings a lot of veteran intelligence out there. I like him. Jimmy Soper was really good in the second half of the season. So not unlike Norfolk, but a, a one step up in talent. I would say rapid city has identified players that made them successful uh, late in the season and brought them back.
0: Now we want to preface, we get to the losers here. This is so far, and this is just Justin's kind of, armchair hypothetical GM perception of it as the news has trickled out so far
1: yeah just based on the early signs it could change and frankly with all of these teams I would expect it to change
0: yes for sure Cincinnati
1: Cyclones you know we already mentioned it it's just weird to me that they are not with Buffalo I don't know who drove that change it felt like it was driven by Buffalo Uh, but Cincinnati is now with the New York Rangers Uh, so that might you know geographically be a better fit We'll just have to see how that turns out. Now they've signed a ton of talent. Don't get me wrong. They what they've signed is really nice. But here's the problem: these are guys that have been there before. Justin Vive, Louis Caparuso, Lee Lapid, guys like that. Nothing wrong. These, I mean, I love Justin Vive. Great player. He's the captain. Louis Caparuso, great playmaker. But the thing with Cincinnati is they haven't been able to get over the hump. They haven't been able to get past Toledo or Fort Wayne. Well, they got past Fort Wayne last season. Um, so they're going to have to – that's fine if they want to stay with that nucleus, but they're going to have to build on it, and we've yet to see that from the signing. So that's why I have – so far it's very early, but I have them in this category. Uh, and, Florida Ever – yeah, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say Florida Everblades, um, their loss is obviously the Fort Wayne Commons' gain with Jesse Kalecki, one of the hot-ticket coaches on the market, gone. Um, they're definitely reeling from his loss there.
1: Well, uh, so not unlike Cincinnati, I just need to see more. They've got some good signings. Logan Lambden, that's a player I really like. Tommy Apap, Andrew Feiton. Uh, But so far, we haven't seen the big guns yet from the team that won the championship last year. So I'm assuming assuming that a lot of this has to do with AHL, NHL contracts. They certainly had guys on those deals last year, guys like Cam Johnson and whatnot. So I, I think patience is going to be key with Florida because I can't imagine best coach of the league, Brad Ralph, is not going to put together a great team. They just have to you know, catch up.
0: Now the Idaho Steelheads, they've got their coach back, but you're, you're a little underwhelmed with the signings, I take it.
1: Well, this is one of those teams that uh, we haven't seen a lot of news yet. They've got two signings. Now, granted, they're big signings. A.J. White, uh, their captain, and Matt Register, arguably the best defenseman in the history of the league, though he's getting a little long in the tooth. They're back. Of course, they have Everett Sheen back, coached them to the best regular season in league history. But – we don't have much beyond that. Now there are reports that Mark Russell is going to sign there. That would be a huge signing for them as well. Uh, but you know, until you show me more, it's hard to put you in the winner category.
0: And the Newfoundland growlers, speaking of need to see more, um, no signings, they've lost their coach. You mentioned off the top of the show about if you're a growlers fan, like what are you looking forward to? Um, definitely tough, especially for a market like that, right. Where they're really into their team and very, they cling on to the players that they usually have there.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I haven't spent any time in Newfoundland. You you probably know that market better than me, but that certainly seems like a hockey-rich market that would crave news, that isn't going to want, you know, a team out of sight, out of mind for three, four months during the summer. But... We know with Newfoundland, they get almost all of their players from the Marlies, from the Maple Leafs. So I'm sure that is the answer there. But we don't even know who the coach is at this point. I mean, just from a marketing perspective, I find it very bad. Um, and it's it's hard to build a, a fan base when you do that. And I think the same is holding true right now for trois you know, Who's going to be on their team next year? I don't know. Now, when you get to September 1st and you still don't know that stuff, then it becomes panic mode.
0: Absolutely. Now there's one more category and it's kind of similar to this last one, but it's the not so sure. And it's even more kind of open-ended than the last one. So we'll start the Toledo walleye um, to start things out.
1: Yeah. Look, we don't know what kind of team they're putting together. Really. They've got some signings. Brandon Hawkins is the big one, but here's why I'm not so sure. They could, they hired a coach in Pat McKesh that I would say 95% of the people I've talked to were shocked by. So he's coming out of juniors. He was in the USHL with the Green Bay Gamblers. Doesn't take a genius to figure out why he was hired. He is a Derek Lalonde guy. Derek Lalonde is now coaching the Red Wings. And of course, Dan Watson has moved up to Grand Rapids. But this is a guy that does not have the typical pedigree that you see for an ECHL coach. Uh, he didn't have a ton of success in terms of wins and losses when it came in the USHL. So, what kind of ECHL coach he's going to be, I don't know. What kind of roster he's going to get, we don't know. That lots to see there. Um, why don't I just roll through the other three teams uh, that we're not so sure about? The Atlanta Gladiators. They've got a new affiliation with the national Predators. A new coach with Derek Nesbitt. We don't know what kind of roster they're putting together yet. I think Nesbitt kind of is aligning with that new. Classic coach that we're seeing guys that are really young, not a lot of experience, but they know the league. Uh, Wheeling Nailers, a lot like the Cincinnati Cyclones in terms of they're re-signing a lot of familiar guys, but they need to take a a, a quantum leap forward this year. They do have Bobby Hampton, Cedric Desrosiers, Sean Boomhauer, excuse me, Matthew Corsia is back after missing last year, but is it going to be the same old Wheeling Nailers that's fighting and clawing for a playoff spot, or are they going to take a step up i do like that they made sure they got Derek army back as coach and the comets there's a lot going on here uh jesse kalecki is the coach they have yet to sign any like real veteran type guys which is very strange for fort wayne so they've got 20 players i really like what they've got they built from the back end out a lot of nice defensemen from darian kelb to um uh, Noah Gansky a lot of younger guys but Fort Wayne we are used to having older established players in the nucleus they were unable to bring back or unwilling to bring back all these guys like Anthony Petrozelli and Oliver Cooper and Mark Russell. so it remains to be seen what that team is going to have and something I'm, I'm noticing with the market is there are a lot of players sitting out there like there are a lot of teams sitting and being patient And I wonder why that is. And that I think is affecting teams like Fort Wayne who have yet to sign those older, you know, 25 to 35 year old players.
0: I'm also wondering, and I'm genuinely asking, is there ever situations where there's kind of a second or third tier of free agency from players that go to Europe, don't like it and go, I want to come back. Um, I mean, during this, Oh, in the fall. I mean, I've seen it. I have not common
1: I mean, there's always a handful of guys. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a handful of guys start
0: earlier. Right. So if you're like, this is for me, you still have time in a way to come over.
1: Correct. I mean, look, there, you know, there's, there's always tons of stories of guys getting out there and they're not getting what they're promised. Um, There's a player uh, you and I both know, I won't mention on the air, but um, he went out to Europe. He was going to Italy and this was years back and they had promised him all sorts of things uh uh it was supposed to be you know uh, a house i think he was supposed to have he was supposed to have all this stuff he gets out there with his newborn kid calls me up he's like you're not going to believe this he had his newborn baby sleeping in a bathroom because they gave him this tiny little apartment so it was nothing that what he was promised i'm not sure that the salary was exactly what he was promised and there are stories like that all over the place. Yeah. So I, you know, for every guy that goes out there and gets lands a huge contract in Slovenia, there's another guy that gets out to like someplace in Holland and doesn't get anything that he was expecting. And so a lot of these guys do come back. Now, usually, to your point, I see that happening more in November, December. But 100, there will be guys that come back. You know, early October, late September. And there are guys that you lose the other way, you know, because teams are finding holes out there. Uh, And sometimes you get guys that suddenly retire happened in Fort Wayne last year. Uh, They had a a top line player signed who left the team right before camp opened because he had a newborn and didn't want to leave it, which is fine. But at this level, you know, nothing is guaranteed. I don't care what the contract says until that person is here Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're not here. And so you're always having to deal with that stuff. But this year, for whatever reason, and I think that that goes to why there have been fewer signings, but fewer veteran signings, fewer older guys signings. And I'm not sure if that is a salary thing that teams are unwilling to pay or all the coaching changes or Europe or the pandemic or guys trying to get AHL camp spots, so many possible reasons. But I think that's why we see teams like Fort Wayne that are sitting there and they're like, "Wow, we've put together an awesome roster of uh, for our younger guys, but we still need to get those four or five top line veteran
0: guys." For sure. Um, let's shift over to some hockey news that obviously is going to have an impact all across the board, every league and ECHL is for sure included. The QMJHL has banned fighting. Now, what that really means is, if there's a fight, you're automatically ejected. You're not. There's no more five minutes for fighting. You're going to face a potential suspension. But from what, the, from what the announcement says, I think there's rare circumstances where you won't get slapped with a one-game suspension. Um, and then if you're the aggressor, you're suspended for at least two games. So there's a lot there to unpack. Now, it should be noted, the OHL has not banned it. The WHL has not banned it. For those that don't know, like the NCAA, for example, another feeder to the ECHL. There's no fighting in that league. Um, I believe the USHL would still have fighting as well. So, you know, and looking at it, this is just one league. Sure, there's many top-tier development leagues and places where ECHL players are coming from. But it's definitely interesting because, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I don't think it's long until the OHL and WHL follow suit. I think with David Branch coming out as the OHL commissioner for next season, the new guard, whoever it is, has a perfect opportunity to shake things up and i think that's where we are treading now we've discussed this somewhat over the course of the podcast and fighting and the effect of it and putting people in seats and stuff like that but i'm gonna say that i i think this is the right move i i think that maybe you disagree and and this is your chance to to give it to me
1: i'm so conflicted on this i mean anybody that follows me knows me knows that i'm a huge proponent of fighting in hockey so i will admit i will admit that my gut reaction was something like but then i did think about it a little bit and i did think about the college aspects and i thought about being a father now granted i have a a 16 year old daughter not a Mm -hmm. hockey playing uh you know q player but you know do would i want my 16 17 year old kid fighting knowing what we know now, CTE and all that stuff. Um, so I am conflicted from a ECHL perspective in terms of, is this good for the ECHL? I am at it's a hundred percent bad because as you noted, these teams and this league still needs fighting. Now, of course, we don't need to get into it here. They're taking steps to curtail fighting at this league now. Right. But I do believe it's sort of nod, nod, wink, wink. Yeah, but we still want it because we understand the fans want it. That's what gets traction on social media. That's what sells tickets for a double A minor league. So if you're going to have fighting at this level, you need to find the fighters somewhere. And as a reporter, I can tell you that when coaches put together teams, and they're selling us on players that we would never heard of before because they're rookies out of juniors. Yeah. One of the things that they will bring up is this kid's so tough. You should see what he does in the queue. Uh, he'll drop the gloves. He's fought this guy. Uh, he had this many penalty minutes. So what you're doing is you're diluting the pool of prospective tough guys, or at least knowing who are tough guys. I would also say that when you're a young hockey player and you come into the pro level, one of the things that you very often do is you you want to show I'm going to do whatever it takes to stay here. And if that means I got to drop the gloves and fight on the first day of training camp, I'll do it. Now, the problem is, I don't think that mentality is going to change, but now our guys who haven't fought in forever, if ever, uh, now going to be doing something that they haven't done before.
0: Yeah, now, but if, that's with, where
1: you bring up college.
0: Yeah, but Justin, <laughs> the, the counter to that, though, is with the ECHL itself even curtailing fighting, we're looking at a slower burn at this, but I think what you're seeing is it's going to be – I don't think that it'll be completely extinct at the minor league level or anything like that, but I think the currency of it will de- is definitely diluted in, in, in the game. Like, if you have – Look at, for example, look at the NHL and how over the last six years, enforcers have become extinct. Look at how at the junior level, it's close to being that way too. So then fast forward five to 10 years or whatever, you're probably going to see more skill injected in the ECHL. And I get what you're saying about needing to sell tickets and with markets. I get that. That's a whole other element to it. But I think there's not really much of a risk. I think the currency of you to prove yourself day one won't be as important because it doesn't really, you can't really fight anymore in the same way. Well,
1: first of all, I think if all amateur ranks get rid of fighting, then there will cease to be fighting at the pro level. That's personally what I think. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, but coaches are always going to want blue collar players and those blue collar players, when you come in, and you don't have a contract, you're on a tryout at the double A level, which means you're a tweener mm. and you are somewhere between the SBHL and the ECHL. You know, I do think there's always going to be that mentality. I'll do whatever I can to show it. And I, I mean, I don't, know, I, we're kind of saying the same thing. I just, I think there's always going to be that instinct for some guys to fight. And I'm just a little bit concerned if they haven't done it before. OK, there's going to be this period of time where there are older guys who have been had fighting and there's going to be guys coming up from juniors who have I'm in a league that's never had fighting. I've never fought all these college guys to the left of me. They've never fought. And then, boom, what's going to happen? There's going to be some meeting of the minds there. Now, maybe that's a small window of time. But overall, my, my concern is we're getting we're getting rid of fighting and hockey. It's important. OK, we spend so much time on this show talking about officiating okay we talk about guys like mikhail robodeau going out and taking guys people people's heads off well the less i truly believe this the less fighting and the less that we are letting players adjudicate themselves the more bad penalties we see the more hits from behind we see i mean there's there's data that can back some of this stuff up And when we stopped letting players adjudicate and we put it in the hands of the referees, we started seeing crazy hits. And now we're at this level, we can't agree if we love the officiating. So now we're going to start to take out even more rapidly the player's ability to answer it themselves with fighting. I just see that as a problematic area. Now, the look on your face tells me you don't agree or you don't get what I'm saying. Though
0: (laughs) I disagree completely. If you look at... So if you look at – take away the take away the tradition of hockey and the idea that it is embedded in our game, and it's important. Like, take away that for a second. Look at baseball, how the AAA level, the AA level, the single A level, the minor league system, and the way that it works so well is you draft a guy, you can put him in a various amount of levels, rehab assignments, whatever. I think that the NHL is shifting that way. I think that teams and their currency for an ECL team – is going to improve by that model. You're seeing, you've seen it with Wheeling, you know, over the last couple of years. But now with Dubis there, I think you'll see a lot more involvement with Wheeling. The Growlers are another example. I think that there, is, you're going to see more of that. And with that, I think it's going to become more development league. And there could be some turnover. Some markets could be phased out. But I don't think you need fighting in hockey. I don't enjoy personally, and I'm sure I speak for other people. I don't need to see a fight to enjoy it. And also. I'm of the, I don't know if I'm a minority, majority. I don't like seeing a fight. I think it's stupid. I think it's, it is so preventable, especially with, like there's guys in the E. I'm not going to, you know, name them and it's their own. I don't blame them for following their dream and, and putting food on their table, but it's like, I don't fight. Like, you know, you, you watch a game, two guys on the ice, their only value is to fight. They go on the ice and they just start throwing punches at each other. Like, yeah, maybe that gets some people out of their seats, but to me, it's like, I don't really. This does nothing for me. That's my opinion. That's someone that doesn't like fighting.
1: The only thing I agreed with you uh, for that whole thing was the last part about the one dimensional guy. I don't want the one dimensional fighter anymore, but I look, we can discuss whether baseball is actually a good model. Uh, It's, it's a good model for the major league team. I would argue it's not a good model for anybody below that, not for the city, not not for the, you know, there's no local owners. Um, so everything you said there was really frightening. And I'm, I'm not saying I haven't heard all of that before. Yeah, but yeah. yes, are we maybe going to this three-tiered system? Yeah. Uh, but ev- all evidence that we have of NHL teams owning AA teams, it's disastrous. Okay, There is not a level of success. But I and think that, that's, if-
0: that's we're going off the pass. I think that we're seeing a changing of – I think you'll see more teams – that will be not rebranded, but like revitalized and reused. I think there'll be a transition period. It might suck for a little bit, but I think that's the way that it's going is my point.
1: I, I think it is going that way. And I think it's frightening because NHL teams through the years have proved that they don't understand the double-A markets. And so if you, all you want is to pump millions of dollars into a double-A team and make it totally developmental and you're going to own it, then sure. But that's what teams – but. All history shows that doesn't work, and I'm not disagreeing. I think it will happen, yeah. and I think it's scary because I think NHL teams are going to do it. They're going to throw away money because they're going to realize that they don't understand how to get fans into the seats in a city like need, Fort Wayne. What if they don't need fans in the seats? They w- Trust me on this. They will because they will be losing money. And there's so much evidence sure. to this. You can look at basketball. You can look at baseball. Go look at what the Calgary Flames did to the once vibrant Quad City market. They, teams will come in. They don't hire local people. They don't understand the market. I mean, trust me, if some NHL team bought the Comets tomorrow and they fired everybody,
0: oh, it I'm would not, not work. That. I'm not saying do that or anything. And I think you're right completely. It would not work. I don't think because you run an NHL team, you have, like, that's like saying that because I, and the AGM of an NHL team, I'd be a good assistant coach for my kids' 12-year-old hockey team. You know, like, I mean, I maybe there, there's different elements. Right, element but that isn't is-
1: that sort of what you were pitching, the three-tiered system where it's owned by the NHL team, and therefore they don't need they don't need to worry about this stuff that, that maybe gets butts in the seat? Wasn't that your point?
0: Yeah, but I'm saying that if you take out fight, like enfor- like enforcers and the fighting in general, is it going to be such a catastrophic dip in the attendance?
1: What I'm telling you is that as long as there is a predominant, a large number of locally owned teams, not owned by the NHL team owned by somebody that fighting is a pivotal part of selling tickets for right or for wrong. I'm not, don't get me wrong. I don't want, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of the one dimensional enforcer. And you're right. I do think we're going to the three tiered system where the NHL teams own all three tiers and it scares the heck out of me because I am so sure it won't work. I mean, I, I just,
0: well, how you many can't tell me
1: what it's not all about fighting just to be clear. I'm just saying that we're off on a bit of a tangent. You can't tell me the Red Wings are going to want to own the Red Wings, the Griffins, the walleye. They're going to float that bill indefinitely for the maybe two, three prospects that they have at the triple a at the, at the double a level.
0: I mean, I just don't see that. But what was the question about, about how many fights a game do you estimate when you watch a game? Oh, I mean, it's, it's not even a fight a game. I mean, they've become more rare, But but has there been a dip in attendance since it's become more rare?
1: I don't I, I I I I don't know the answer to that question. There are that's so fair. many factors that I don't know that we could make a correlation. Point, but no,
0: but my point being is that is you're saying like it's going to be hard time for like to get butts in the seats without fighting in it, period. But would you not agree over the last five years or however long it's been, you've seen a decline in the amount of fights per game. And I'm asking and the question I don't expect you to have an answer, but the point I'm raising is has there been a catastrophic decline in attendance because of that? I don't know.
1: I don't know the you answer to that I'm question. Saying? I think I think in some markets there have been. I think the 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 and that,
0: could be, yeah, that could be I the, think you
1: have lost an entire legion of fans, not in particular markets, that just people that used to be really excited for the fights. Um sure. now I, I coming off a certain way, I feel like, which is no, I don't I don't want a gong show and I don't but I do want the value. I think there is value. I grew up in a different area than you did. And I get that. But I think there is value in having guys be able to go out and adjudicate some level of – to police the ice. Your captain gets run from behind. I I see the value in your teammates being able to somehow make that guy answer for it, and then it's over. But instead, the game is turned into, well, we're going to trust the referees. We're going to trust – Joe Ertz to levy the right suspensions. Now at the NHL level, for the most part, they're great. At this level, it's more of a mixed bag when it comes to, and this is nobody's fault, when it comes to weeding out those dangerous hits, the Mm -hmm. knee-on-knee hits and things like that. Because you don't have the replays. You don't have the infrastructure to see everything. And I'm just going to be honest, we don't have the trust in the league and the officials to... Support this. So if three re- three years from now, suddenly fighting is gone and Comet's captain goes out and he gets a knee-to-knee hit, I'm a little concerned what then happens. What prevents it from happening again? One of the fears forever in this game was you knew if you went out and took a guy out, you were going to have to answer for it. And now I do feel like players don't have that mentality anymore. They don't have that fear ingrained oh, crap, that's a really tough team. If I go out there and I start hitting guys, I'm going to have to answer for it. Now you're like, what's going to happen? Joe, it's going to he, hit me
0: with a fine. Yeah, but nowadays, the, the, I get that. That's a very fair point. But the problem I have is nowadays, if there's a big hit, clean or dirty, you have to answer for it. That's ridiculous. I think it's become like with fighting in the game. For example, if you lay a guy out, clean hit, you have to fight. But why should you have to fight? I'm just trying to poke holes in the code, and like you're saying, but the I think that it's problematic the whole ideal. I think it's only accepted because it's
1: funny that you say that because all I hear every day is that how come that guy got hit and nobody fought him? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I sure. guess I guess what level are you talking about? I mean, I, I wish I saw that. <laughs> no, but, but you're like, right. You should. Hockey. There shouldn't be there shouldn't be an expectation that 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 everybody has to fight. Like on that, we're right. agreed. Like yeah, even yeah. if you make a mistake, you like I don't think there should be that expectation, but there is definitely a guys and I mean <laughs> I don't want to name names, but there's guys that go out there and they're head hunting uh, at this level, and right. nobody's doing anything about it. Like the league isn't doing anything yeah. about it. The officials aren't doing anything about it, and the only thing that's still stopping it is boy, okay, they're gonna run into this guy's in the lineup tonight, and you can see like this guy like from. A certain guy from Wheeling, he's maybe not going out and doing it tonight because he knows that Kalamazoo's brought their, you know, they got a Collins with them tonight. And it scares me that we're getting away from this stuff. But just to finish it off, I mean, this it's a great conversation that we should finish another totally. episode. But, you know, what does it mean when they don't have it in the junior level? Because I, I don't know, I. I'm not going to say it's the wussification of hockey, which I hear a lot. It's not that, you know, again, I've got a teenage kid. I am absolutely empathetic to CTE and to the dangers. And I definitely want the game to be safer, but there is an element of it that makes me a little bit afraid as to what it means for the pros. And we all know that fighting is going to go away someday. It's inevitable. I mean, I, I understand I'm like, the guy standing on a sinking ship, like help save us. But yeah. for, you know, for, for this period of time, it's a little bit scary for me, but as you try to recruit players from the queue um, I think coaches at this level are going to have to start redefining exactly what they look for. Sure. Because right now I do feel more than the WHL, more than the OHL, definitely more than USHL and certainly more than college. When ECHL coaches go out and they look for tough guys, guys who are going to, and I'm not just talking fight guys who are going to hit, they're going to check whatnot. The queue I think is their first place that they're scouting. And if you're taking fighting out there, everybody's going to now have to adapt into uh, in a lot of
0: different respects.
1: So that's the overall point to me.
0: I'm sure there'll be some sort of development or controversy that will come up once the games start, that we'll be having this conversation again. Um, but we're, let's, let's put a lid on it for now. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you, Justin, for giving us the winners and losers so far. Please hold all of these to Justin as the year goes on and don't let him forget about it and hold it against him. But until next time, guys, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening.